Romans 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that your word would be heard and received. And Father, I pray that you would help me, help me to preach your word, and that our eyes may be fixed on Christ, from whom all of our life flows. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. So uh, this, is, this is week two of this series about why we do what we do. And uh, I knew that as I was considering uh, what I wanted to, to touch on and, and preach about, uh, I knew that I wanted to talk about the sacraments and uh, preach about what I believe that God does in the sacraments, what we believe that why they're a gift to the church. And um, what I also was very aware about is... Um, uh, I'm a nerd, and I can not really list for you all of the things that I have read about this and would love to talk to you as a nerd, um, and this is not the venue for that, um, and so I'm doing my best to still preach this morning, and I am going to preach. Um, I when I teach at Montreat, um, I sort of get flack sometimes from the other professors who are around because sometimes my teaching sort of becomes preaching and I just can't stop myself. This is going to go in a little bit in the other direction this morning that sometimes my preaching gets a little teachery and you're going to have to put up with that. I am going to get to Romans 6. I am going to preach Romans 6. you got to give me a minute or 15 to get there. Hold on with me. Trust me. I'm coming there. Now, the sacraments are uh, someplace where the, the much of the church has waged war. Literally. People who have had the name of Jesus on their forehead have killed each other over divisions that involve, not only, but involve their understanding of the sacraments. And yet, I think a lot of people, maybe many people in this room, 
would say, it seems like baptism and communion are important, and that's all I really know. I don't know really what's going on there. They are important. I want them, I want my kids to receive them at some point, uh, but I don't really know what's going on. And yet, you may, in this context, hear things today which you've not heard before, or you, maybe you have, and you're like, that I definitely don't believe, and that makes me mad. And what I think that tells us is that even if you don't quite understand what's going on in baptism and communion, it's deeply held and important to you. And maybe you haven't even realized it until somebody maybe transgresses one of your boundaries, until you say, oh, actually, this is really significant for me. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you may be saying, did I, did I come to the wrong room? Did I, have I found myself in a lecture hall that I did not sign up for? These things are saying something to you. They are speaking something specifically and especially to you that you should attend to. And you should hear what they are speaking to you. And hopefully today, at the very least, you will understand at least why Christians are communally across the globe are marked out by these things, baptism and communion. I want us to have a better sense together why these things. The question I think is fair to start with is who are these things for? Baptism is for all of those people who profess faith in Christ. It's for everyone who professes faith. It is not for people who are perfect. It is not for people who have uh, the heights of emotional experience. It's not for people who can pass the longest theology exam that you can imagine. Baptism is for all of those who profess faith in Jesus. And baptism acts as Jesus' movement towards you. This is important to understand. We believe that these things, baptism and communion, are not about you making a step towards Jesus. They are about the people of God opening their hands and receiving as God comes to them and to receive everything that God wants to give to them and for them. So if you are somebody who puts your faith in Jesus, you should be baptized. And you should be baptized even if you don't feel like you're a particularly good Christian. That's not really the standard. The standard is not you. It is Jesus. And what we also believe is that the children of people who are believers in Jesus should also be baptized. And this, of course, is where a good deal of the Christian population, especially where we live, are like, wait, hold up. Um, objection, sir. I was with you on the first part. This does not sound like that. And for you, I just want to offer a piece of clarification. I could talk for a long time about infant baptism. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to very, very briefly tell you why we believe that. God has always come after families. The whole story of the Bible is not Abraham alone but Abraham and his children. And even when the children of Abraham are too young 
to understand what is going on. Abraham's children in their own flesh are marked by God's commitment to bless them. In Colossians 2 in the New Testament, Paul explicitly says, he describes baptism as a new circumcision. That instead of people being marked on their flesh, they are marked with water. And so we understand that God has not reached the middle of the Bible and said, actually, it's a different plan now. But instead, he has continued as he always has been. And so we encourage, we invite people to have children and have them baptized in all expediency. Now, we have loads of people in our church who are important to us, who are officers in our church we love, who say, I don't baptize babies. And guess what? We don't hunt you down and like chuck water on your kids or throw you out the door. You are welcome here. You are, you are loved dearly by the entirety of our church. But we believe, not just in this church, but in our denomination, in our tradition, that God would offer this and want to give this to your children. It is available to you and to them that they would have on their own exterior body the proclamation of God that he is coming for them as well. Baptism is for Christians and for their children. And the other sacrament that we believe, we believe there's only two, is the one that we come to every week. The Lord's table, communion, the Eucharist. This is for people who profess faith in Jesus. This is Jesus coming close to his people and offering himself to his people. It is not for the perfect. It is not for the people at the peak of their spiritual experience. It is not for the people who can pass the longest theological exam. It is for the people whose faith is in Jesus. And what we believe about that is that this is a family meal. That God has invited his people into his own family. That just as he is after families, he is forming a family. So that even if you have no other family, if you are single, if you are divorced, if you have been orphaned, you have a family in Christ and this is the family table. So because of that, what we believe is, and the church has believed throughout history, is that if you want to come to the table, you should carry on your body the sign of the family, which is baptism. This is the marked out family of God. The baptized family comes and eats at this table. And so you may find yourself in this room saying, I want that. I am not baptized. And what this is doing for you every single week is to make you want what you do not have. You are meant to crave this table. And if you are looking at this table and saying, 
I want to come here. I want to be a part of this family. I want this thing. You should also want to be baptized. They go together. And so when we invite families to come up, we invite the family of God to come to the table to eat the family meal. And many of you are coming to the table and saying, what ought I do with my kids? And we tell you, bring them to the table because God comes after families. Some of you are in the position of saying, my kid wants this, they don't want that. And what we're telling you this morning is that they go together. That's the ordinary practice of the church for 2,000 years. These things go together. And so you have the opportunity with your children to have a conversation. What they want is a good thing. Are they ready to be baptized? If you have not baptized your children from, you know, before they could do anything besides mess their diapers and, and eat. And they are at the point in their life where they're saying, I want to eat there. Not just because they want a snack, which we all understand, but because they want to participate in the family meal. Then you get to have this conversation with them. Why do you want this? What is here that is happening? And do you understand that it is not just this meal every week that Jesus provides for you, but that you can wear on your own head Jesus' own, in a sense, last name. And if they're hungry for this table, they are probably also hungry to say yes to that. And you don't have to police for them like, is this, do they know enough? Do they have a big enough experience? Do they have a rich enough theological understanding? If they are able to say, I want to be in Jesus' family, I want to eat at this table, they are showing all the signs of what a little kid can show. And you should hear Jesus' voice very loud and clear. Let the little children come to me. Let them come to me. Jesus sets this table for his people to come and eat with them. And you, you and I, we come every week to this table, which is, for some of you, a bit weird. For some of you, it's, it's, it's why you come here. For some of you, it's something you get used to while you come here. You may have been in churches where they only come once a month or once a quarter, a couple times a year, something like that. We come here every week because Jesus has set this table and we are hungry. We know down in the depths of our bellies and in the middle of our bones that we are hungry for what only Jesus can provide. And we are not concerned that setting this table every week makes it less special any more than I am concerned that I hug my wife too much. I need constant contact, affection from and with my wife because it is special. I don't go through months or quarters of the year where I say to her, you know what? No kissing. We got to make it really special. 
It's the other way. Because it is special, I kiss her regularly. Sorry, my children are wincing, but it's true. We come to the table regularly because it is special. Because God meets with his people here in this special way, we come regularly. That, I would say, is the historical practice of the church at large for 2,000 years. And when you read in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul is talking about this table, he talks about this gathering together. And he says, when you gather together, have this meal. So the plainest reading of all of that for us is why we come to this table again and again and again as the family of God. And at the same time, we will only baptize you once. <laughs> Many of you may have grown up in congregations where you'll see people be baptized several times. Personally, I, I've been baptized multiple times. That, that's how I grew up. Some of you were baptized because you switched from one church to the other, so you had to be baptized again. Some of you were in churches that you grew up in, and it's like if you had a bad week, you better be baptized again. And so that makes it, you know, really stick this time. But for most of the church throughout time, it's one time. And we are, we have a non-discriminatory practice on baptism. By which I mean... If a Catholic priest baptized you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you've been baptized. If you were baptized by a Lutheran pastor in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you've been baptized. If you were baptized in a Baptist church in somebody's pool in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you have been baptized. It counts. We don't need you to renew your membership here and dunk you under the waters again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it works. And the reason why that's important, and it's only one time, is because you and I will fail time and time and time again. And your baptism in mine is not about my personal spiritual experience, my personal pursuit of God, my ability to answer a theology test happens here. What happens here? What is going on in all of these things? That's part of kind of the essential question. That's why we have this word sacraments. It's related to this word mystery, the Greek word for mystery. In fact, the church, the early church for centuries would just call it the mysteries. Before communion was even celebrated, you know what they would do with the unbelievers? Kick them out. They would draw a hard line in the middle of their service and say, if you are not a baptized believer of Jesus, you have to leave because this is a mystery and a secret you can't see. You, after you're baptized, then we will teach you sort of the secret sauce. Now, that's not, obviously, that's not what's happening here. We're not kicking anybody out of the room. What I'm saying is there, there is a sacred and holy mystery to what God is doing here in these things, in baptism and communion. And really, this is what people, Christians, have fought about, what they'll go to war over. Romans 6 will help us understand the aim of these things, the heart of these things. What you have set before you in your baptism 
and in the communion and communion is the same thing. What we believe is both of these things point towards one end and what God is doing. And these things are all about Jesus. They are not about your personal response. That's why we're not so worried that an eight-year-old or a or one-year-old or a six-month-old doesn't really know what's going on when they're baptized because it's not about them. It is about what God wants. And it is about Jesus. We want you to come as faithful receivers of all that God does. We're not saying that these are magical things set the table for you. They, they beckon us, they demand of us that we come in faith, that we come to believe and to trust in Jesus. Let me give you an example of what these things are not. This is my wedding ring. Um, it is a sign that I am married, right? Uh, this is not, are we familiar with the Lord of the Rings? Yes. Okay. If you're not, get right. <laughs> this is not a ring of power, okay? I, I, obviously, I'm putting it on. I'm not disappearing. I don't have incredible powers. This, this thing does not actually make me married. It's not like married, unmarried, married, unmarried. It doesn't work like that, right? My, my let me say this rightly. I was going to say if my wife tackled me. If I tackled my wife and forced a ring onto her finger, she didn't just like, bam, now you have to marry me, right? It doesn't work like that. There has to be an actual commitment between us that we've actually become married. We've covenanted with one another. This is now a sign of something that is true. It is true that we're married, and this thing is showing me and my wife and the whole world that I am married, it's showing a reality that you cannot see. I, I, I don't walk around and look different. I don't look married. I probably look unmarried, honestly. People are like, surely that guy is not. But I am. I, I don't look married. This thing is an outward, it's an indicator on the outside that I actually am married, which they otherwise cannot see. There, there has to be a, a participatory nature on both sides of this thing. The table... The waters work the same way. You do have to come with faith. I can't just throw this water on people and be like, bam, Christian, boom, got them. Or else I'd go out with a super soaker and I'd get everybody. It doesn't work that way. That's why if you are not a believer here today and you are looking at this table, we are, we are telling you over and over again, this is not magic. Right. This is not a magic thing by which if you, regardless of what you believe, you just eat the bread, drink the wine, boom, communing with Jesus. No, that's not how it works. However, however, we are saying that there is something mysterious going on. That the sign is actually delivering to you the thing that it signifies. That something actually truly is happening in communion and in baptism. And for a lot of people, I think 
in the world that we live in, we have some different options when you come to the table. You can have this sort of, what I would call more of a magical approach to the table. These things have had some spell or incantation spoken over them, and they're like a magical element. And if I just treat them rightly and eat them enough, that it'll do something to me, which is not what we believe. There's also another way you can come to this table and say, this is just some bread and some wine. What's important is that I remember what Jesus did for me. It's a symbol. That is not what we believe. There is something more going on at this table that you are invited to. That when you come in faith, when your mouth receives the bread and the wine, by the Holy Spirit, you are feasting on the blood and the body of Christ. You are being nourished by the body and blood of Jesus himself. And we say that while at the same time saying, no magic has been done here. This is bread and wine or juice. And you are merely receiving those physical things that are ordinary, but the Holy Spirit is feeding you the flesh of Jesus himself. I want to read to you something. This is, a, this is something called the Belgic Confession. I'm not going to read the whole Belgic Confession. It's very long. It's a, it's a confession of faith. It's this, it's this statement of doctrine on a number of things. These are from our brothers and sisters in, in Europe from 500 years ago. This is a guy who was trying to explain what we believe to people in the Inquisition. He failed. He died for believing these things. We do not go wrong when we say that what is eaten is Christ's own natural body and what is drunk is his own blood. But the manner in which we eat it is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit, through faith. And that way, Jesus Christ remains always seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, but he never refrains on that account to communicate himself to us through faith. This banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself to us with all his benefits. At that table, he makes us enjoy himself as much as the merits of his suffering and death as he nourishes, strengthens, and comforts our poor, desolate souls by the eating of his flesh and relieves and renews them by the drinking of his blood. The poor and desolate souls of his people are fed by his own body and blood, communicating all of himself at this, his banquet table. And Romans 6 is the heart of what both baptism and communion are for. And it is to inseparably unite and nourish God's people from the very life of God himself. Romans 6, Paul is talking about baptism. What he says is when you are baptized, 
There is a melding, a welding of your life to the life of Jesus. So that the emergence of the waters ties you inseparably, inseparably from the Jesus who died, went to the grave, and was resurrected for you. So that Paul says, it can be said then, as Jesus lives, so you live. And you no longer have to fear death because death has already been died on your account and you've received it. What God intends for his people that we see and receive and experience in the sacraments is union between God and his people. God looks at you and me, and in and of ourselves, in our natural state, we cannot make it. We cannot ascend high enough. We cannot run long enough. We cannot be good enough. And God did not slide across the table to you and me a self-improvement plan. If you would just work on these things, you would improve yourself and get closer to him. God knew that was not nearly sufficient. So what God slides across the table to you and to me is himself. Because my life needs the life of the Godhead. I cannot do this alone. And God desires for you, for me, for us to live out of the center of the energy, the life, the vitality, the love that exploded the universe into existence. He gives that to his people. When I say that these things are preaching the same thing that this is, what we are saying is these things are giving you Jesus. They are about Jesus. They are not about you and how you feel like you are able or good enough. They, they are not about the water or the bread or the wine. They are about Jesus because our eyes are meant to be fixed on Christ. We, we celebrate, we receive, we enjoy, we pass on the sacraments because we are a people who need Jesus. We are the people whose hands are spread out wide and said, God has come and approached us. We were desolate in our sin. We were lost. We were wandering and God came and found us. We were childless. We were orphaned in the world spiritually and God came and adopted us, gave us his own name when we had no name. We were hungry, nothing good spiritually filling our bellies and what God did was hold us like a baby and again and again feed us from his own divine life so that we don't even come to the end of our existence and believe that it is the end of our existence. We look at the grave and all we see is a doorway through which Jesus has already gone at the moment of our deepest peril. Our eyes are locked on Jesus because that is where God has brought us to for every day of our life. 
He baptizes us once into his family, slaps his last name on our heads, and then every day afterwards, he nourishes us by his own existence to the, to the extent that we feast on his very flesh and blood. It is about union with Jesus. Our eyes are fixed on Christ out of necessity, out of desire, out of need, and out of great joy. So if you are here today and you are a Christian, I am, yes, inviting you to see this table with refreshed eyes. To come to the table, not just because that's what you do every single week and it's kind of the time and it's a little bit of a snack and I remember the thing that Jesus did for me and that's good, I guess I remember that. I'm asking you to come to the table as a desperate people. Fix my eyes on you, Jesus. Help me to enter into the story you've long told from the, before the world began. Nourish me with your own life. I'm inviting you to see this baptismal, to see those waters and remember your own baptism. To remember that you've been conquered and claimed and sealed by a God who came after you, will continue to come after you, and will never let you go because you are one of his own. I am inviting you to not just see these things, but to see Jesus. Christ has put himself on display for you here. And he has presented himself in all of his goodness in life to you again and again so that when you hear his promise, you will know it is true. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Christ is in the midst of us, fulfilling his promise today. And if you are here today and you are not a Christian, the invitation is the same. Put your eyes on Jesus. When I am telling you this morning to repent and to be baptized... I'm not telling you that I, I need you to ecstatically jump up and wave your hand and just show everyone how much you really, truly do believe. I'm inviting you to throw up your hand and say the family of God is the family that I need to be a part of. And you may have been so far from him. This room is the company of the people who would say to you, so have we all. And he has come and gotten me. He will surely come and get you too. If you are here today and you are not part of God's family, repent and be baptized. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And he will never, ever leave you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that it is your death that has become our death. 
your resurrection that has become our resurrection. That the banquet table of God's mercy is extended to us poor, desolate souls. We're so grateful that you nourish us by your own life. Father, we, we confess that we have often passed by, barely glanced at what you have offered to us, not just here in, in these sacraments and at this table, but in all of our life. All of creation screams your name. And we are often too busy or distracted to pay much attention. And we are so grateful for your mercy and your goodness. God, make us hungrier and hungrier. Father, I pray for the people in here who are far from you. Maybe they're people that wear your name on their heads and they're Christians and they are just kind of in the woods. They're, they're off wandering. And some part of them says, can I ever come home? God, I pray that they would hear loud and clear that home is where they're meant to be and that they're always welcome. Father, I pray for those of us who are following you, who feel like we're doing our best. Maybe, maybe we're doing so cold-heartedly. Maybe we're laboring and trying. Father, I pray that we would hear the good news that you are the God who comes close, who comes close, and who comes close. That you have pledged yourself to your people forever. Father, I pray for those who are here, who might hear these words and realize they are, they are spiritually orphaned. They are not part of your family. And they are, it turns out, incredibly hungry. Father, I pray that they would hear very clearly that you have always intended to feed them at your own table with your own body and blood. I pray that they would come home. They would receive all that you have for them. They would be healed and whole in you. Jesus, we thank you that we might be joined, that we are joined with you. And the only direction there is left to go is ever deeper and deeper into an infinite well. We thank you, Jesus, for all you've given us and all you get to give us, more than we could ask or imagine. It's in your name we pray. Amen.